0: Hi guys, it's Deb. I'm Pete. And I'm Jess. Welcome back to another episode of Garthology. If you are new to our podcast, welcome. We're here to dig into the past, present, and future of the number one selling solo artist of all time, Mr. Garth Brooks. For season two, episode three of Garthology, we're going to finish up talking about Garth's fifth studio album, The Chase. When we kicked off our review of The Chase in Season 2, Episode 2, we discussed how it skyrocketed to the top of the country chart, which was almost to be expected. However, more surprising, it also topped the pop charts in its very first week. In fact, Vince Gill, Billy Ray Cyrus, Winona Judd, and Trisha Yearwood all spent time on the pop charts back in 1992, in part thanks to Garth's reinvention of country music and his ability to change who listened to it. As Trisha stated in Garth's The Road I'm On show, we all sold more records in the 90s because of Garth. Everyone was paying attention to the genre because of him. You can currently catch The Road I'm On on Netflix. In its first week, The Chase sold over 400,000 copies, and that is especially surprising that it sold so well when you consider that Liberty Records priced the original CD release at $16.98, which was a dollar higher than a regular CD cost at the time. But that didn't stop people from buying it. In fact, it didn't stop me from buying it. By selling so many copies, no matter the cost, as well as topping the country and pop charts, Garth proved once again that country music had a broad appeal. So let's jump back into the final songs on The Chase. We'll hand it over to Jess to start us off with song number seven. Hey guys, song number seven
2: off of The Chase is Learning to Live Again.
0: I wonder what
1: she thinks of me.
0: Debbie just whispered, you're doing fine. And I
1: wish that I felt the same. She's
0: asked me to dance, now her hand's in mine Oh my God, I've forgotten her name But I'm gonna smile, my best smile And I'm gonna laugh like it's going out of style Look into her eyes and pray that she don't see
2: Learning to Live Again was written by Don Schlitz and Stephanie Davis. And again, we've talked a few times about Stephanie Davis, but I do want to mention Don Schlitz, who is a Nashville songwriting legend. He's earned two Grammys, four ASCAP Country Songwriter of the Year awards, and in 1993, he was inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. This is the guy who wrote The Gambler for Kenny Rogers, Forever and Ever Amen for Randy Travis, and When You Say Nothing at All for Keith Whitley. This man is songwriting royalty. He's had 24 number one hits on the country charts. And I was lucky enough to get to see him perform live at the Bluebird a few years ago, and I just can't say enough about him. He's an amazing, amazing songwriter. Seriously, if you're a country music fan, especially from back in the 80s and 90s, go look at the list of hits this guy's responsible for. It will blow your mind. These aren't bubblegum hits. These are songs you'll remember that gut punched you and stayed with you. But I have to stop because clearly I could do an entire episode about how brilliant Don Schlitz is. So moving on to learning to live again. This song was released as the third single from the album on January 25th, 1993. And this is one of my favorite Garth songs of all time. I knew it from the radio as a kid and I've just always loved it. I guess Stephanie Davis once heard a guy in a bar say, man, this learning to live again is killing me. And it stayed with her. So she went into the songwriting process with just this little bit of an idea. And then she says she and Don both have very distinct writing styles and that they argued back and forth a lot while they were writing this, like to the point that people outside the room must have been like, what is happening in there? And he was actually hospitalized with hives the next day. (laughs) But they get along fine and it was all good. And they came away with a great song. It's about a guy being set up on a date by some friends. And he seems to be getting back out there after a breakup or divorce or something, uh, a significant relationship. And so it's nerve wracking and scary for him. And there's these really soft interspersed soprano notes on the piano in the opening to kind of set the tone. And then from the very first line, you can just feel this guy's nerves and you have a sense of sympathy for him. Like you're immediately cheering for him and wanting him to succeed. And it's not like You know, he's not this cocky guy headed out to score in a bar. He's he's treading back out into uncharted waters or at least waters that haven't been navigated for quite some time. And, you know, starting over, everyone can identify with that, at least in some regard. And I think I think Garth made it more personal to him because he asked Stephanie Davis to change Gracie and Dave to Debbie and Charlie after his friends, Debbie and Charlie Steffel, because. He wanted when he sang the lyrics for it to seem more real to him. And so Stephanie obliged and the song became, you know, what it is. And it says Debbie and Charlie. And Garth said that that did make the song more real to him when he sang it. I love the play on words of learning to live again is killing me. That is such a smart saying. And one of my favorite lines in it talks about there's a table for four, but just conversation for three. That's so awkward. And again, relatable. I think, you know, everybody, no matter how charismatic you are, has been in a group at some point where it just felt awkward. And so you can identify with that moment. And certainly if you're there to meet a person that you're potentially going to be dating. And I think that it just makes you that awkward setting makes you be set up to kind of cheer for the underdog. My favorite part of the song and probably most people's favorite part of the song is where it says she's asked me to dance now her hands in mine. Oh, my God, I've forgotten her name." And it's, it's such a good moment and it just catches you in the middle of the song and you just, you know, it kind of gets your heart and you feel for the guy. But Garth had some really good insight about that line. He said, you know, your mind is everywhere else in that moment. Like you're there with this new person, but you're thinking about how could you have saved what you lost? And what is that person that you were with doing right now? And what if she walks in or what if she sees you with this other woman? And then you kind of hope she does see you with this other person. And so your mind's going in all these places and now you're distracted and you've forgotten the name of the person right in front of you. And that was really interesting to me to hear what was going on in his mind when he was singing the song. And then in the song, I just like how the tables turn at the end and the chorus flips and it's from her point of view instead of his. And that kind of ties them together, I think, in the moment where they bond because, you know, she's kind of going through something, too. Garth said that this song probably gets requested more in housekeeping than any other song, and I can definitely see that because I love this one, and I think a lot of people really do. How about you guys? Or is this one you guys love?
0: Yeah, I love this song. I think it's a great story song. My heart breaks a little every time at that twist at the end, and I actually see that ending as though she didn't enjoy the date. And oh, I can see that. Yeah, where she's saying. Uh, I'll get back to you, you know, let me think about that. And so then my heart breaks for him a little bit more, because I'm thinking, he put himself out there, you know, he was starting to think, hey, this might actually work. Oh, that's funny, because I just see
2: her being coy. But it's interesting how you can just, you know, get your own variation of what you hear when you listen to the song.
0: Yeah, I always at the end, I always think, oh, she's gonna turn him down. (laughs) Oh, that just hurts. So for me, the sentiment behind the lyrics of the song are so heartfelt and so emotional. The lyrics are so real. Like you said, a forgotten name, a friend setting you up on a blind date, you know, standing on a porch saying goodnight to someone. It's all so real life. Yeah. And so when someone loses a love or ends a relationship, there's that sense of like losing your balance, like it, and it takes time to get that balance back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what this man is experiencing. He's suffered some kind of grief or loss or adjusting to all of the changes that those things bring into your life. Plus it's the awkwardness that comes with starting a new relationship and you're bringing that emotional baggage into this new relationship. So that's a lot to juggle. And I think that in this instance and in so many Other times in life, you just have to smile your best smile and laugh like it's going out of style. You know, you just don't have a choice. You have to just keep carrying on. Mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to mention about this for those of you that have listened to our past episodes, you've probably heard Jess or I mention Broadway musicals. We're both big fans of live musicals, and it's actually how we met. So for anyone else out there that might be musical fans as well, I want to get your opinion on something. If you know the soundtrack to the musical Wicked, then you've heard the song I'm Not That Girl. Well, the beginning of this Garth song, Learning to Live Again, has always tickled something in my brain, and I finally figured it out. It reminds me of the very beginning of I'm Not That Girl from Wicked. So I'm going to drop the beginning of Learning to Live Again and the beginning of I'm Not That Girl from Wicked. Give it a listen and then get back to us on social media and let me know if you hear it too. And I'm also putting that out to Jess because I haven't told her that I'm saying any of this. So now you'll have to listen to the episode, hear the comparison, and then let me know what you think. Yeah, I will. I mean, because I know the song, but I
2: can't I can't hear the intro. So I'll be interested to go back and listen to them. Yeah. You'll
0: hear it now that I've mentioned it. Finally, you all know that this song has to hold a special place in my heart because Garth says Debbie and Deb over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, he's talking to me whenever I hear it. Okay. How about you, Pete? What do you think?
1: Kind of the same thing. You know, you, uh, you and Deb covered a lot of the same thoughts and feelings that I wrote down. I mean, as a matter of fact, if I could take a picture and if my handwriting was good enough and post it on social media... Jess, a lot of what you said is in my notes, uh, which I kind of started thinking about as I was reading them. One laugh that I always do get is the fact that he forgets the name. You know, There's a lot of things that go into a first date or a first meeting or whatever, but the most important thing you can't forget is the other person's name. So (laughs) I always get a little chuckle out of that. And reading the anthology and, and the story, like you talked about how they changed the name to be more personal for Garth so he could sing it you know, with Debbie and Charlie, it's right. It does put two faces to the name in the song. This song, I don't know that it could have been written or sung as well without the two names to the faces, but had they done it that way, I don't know that the song grabs me as much as it does with the two names. The two names to me, after reading it in the anthology and listening to it, it really, really does, it drags me into the song a little bit further. But yeah, I absolutely love it. I talked about doing research on the chase and getting past songs. This was one I had a hard time getting past because I wanted to continue to listen to it over and over again.
2: Yeah. Yes. Same. I love this one too. I can play it over and over. All right. But moving along, we're going to let Deb take it away with song number eight. Song number
0: eight is That Summer. I went to
1: work for her that summer. Teenage kids who
0: far from home was a lonely widow woman he'll bent to make it on her own we were a thousand miles from nowhere. that summer was written by Garth Rooks, Pat Alger and Sandy, Garth's former wife, and includes Trisha on the very difficult two-part harmonies it reached number 1 on the Billboard Country charts and was the fourth and last single released from The Chase It can also be found on other Garth records, including The Hits, The Ultimate Hits, Double Live, and the Limited Series. We all know That Summer was the sexy song where a lonely widowed woman and a young farmhand shared an intimate summer. However, originally, it was supposed to be about a married woman being ignored by her husband and then taking up with a single guy. But Alan Reynolds didn't care for that story. He felt like he couldn't root for those characters. So Garth and Sandy and Pat worked it up again and came up with the final version. I have to admit, I'm a little taken back by the story of the song. Like a tiny part of me has always thought, um, creepy. (laughs) But I read a quote in the anthology where Garth says, he loves this song simply because it talks about great sex with two people that share a fantastic moment with no regrets and no hesitation. And it kind of fills the need of both partners in two different ways, but completes the puzzle in one tremendous way. So with that explanation, I feel a little more easy with the story of this song. What are your guys' thoughts on it?
1: You know, this song, one of my all-time favorite Garth songs we talk about a lot about a painting a picture and it's crazy because I can kind of see myself out in some field and some young kid over here working and some lady, you know, from the porch watching this young kid work. And then, you know, the story takes off and Holy moly, some of the lyrics that are in the song, you know, when Garth talks about that in the anthology is right. I mean, this is a, this is a good one for sure. Uh, another thing that I, I knew about Trisha's harmony backgrounds on the song. But then when I read in the anthology about how they talk at, you know, her voice and the way that she sings the chorus and how it kind of keeps pulling the song along, I went back and I listened to it that way. And I really paid attention to it. And it does. It really stands out a lot more to me now, I guess, because I'm paying attention to it before. But again, you know, you can never go wrong with Trisha in any song. But, yeah, just one of my all-time favorites. I really, really, really did like the lyrics and the story. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll yeah, man, it'll warm me up real quick. <laughs> what about you, Jess?
2: Uh, I feel like this is one of those songs I don't remember not knowing. Like it's always just been there and I've always known it word for word, but I don't remember hearing it for the first time, especially. It came out when I was just at an age to get it, but not be old enough to have any life experience of my own. So I think it was always kind of novel to me in that way. But it's funny. There was a movie from the late 80s like 1988 ish called Stealing Home with Jodie Foster and Mark Harmon. And it was about it wasn't about a farm. It was but it was about this young guy who has a brief affair with an older woman. And there maybe wasn't as big of an age difference as this song implies, but still an age difference. And in my head, that young guy was played by William McNamara in the movie. That's who I see when I hear this song still to this day. It's it's always who my mind conjured when I heard it. And I don't I never really pictured a woman at all. But in the movie, he was just this young kind of baseball player kid growing up in maybe the 60s, 70s. I don't know. But that's who I see is this kid just working on a farm for the summer. And so is this story, like Deb said, it could be considered shocking or distasteful. And I have to kind of just get around it by thinking there's something about the way they tell the story that just lets you see the connection between the two people who, for different reasons, need that connection at this point in their lives. Musically, I love the song. I love those big emphasis moments like on the syllables of the word passion because it, it's like divided up and you hit both syllables really hard. And I like that. And again, the harmonies are to die for. We always talk about how well Garth and Trisha harmonize and, and Pete touched on on how Trisha's vocals are in this song. And the thing that I came away with about that is that the live shows, every time I find myself disappointed when they do this song because I want Trisha to come out and sing background vocals and she doesn't sing on it. And every time I'm just like the whole time (laughs) (laughs) the song's going. But I do love the song.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I will say I I love this song in concert. I don't have any problem when Garth's singing it. The story Mm -hmm. is behind me. I don't even think about it because I love it live. It's so good. But man, if Trisha was there, it would be so right? great. Oh, Yeah. Okay, let's go over to Pete for song number nine.
1: Okay, song number nine is Something With a Ring To It. Pretty white gown where wear It's bound to take She wants something with a ring to it Make a Gonna have to put a ring on her i gonna be her man. My baby's playing hard to play. As most of the Garth fans know, this song was not released on the original Chase album. But Garth later released it on the Chase in the limited series. This song was written by Mark Cawley on his album titled Hardin County Line. I went back and I listened to both the versions from Mark Cauley and from Garth. And I got to be honest, I'm really glad that I was able to get this song because it was not one that I knew. And listening to Garth's songs, holy moly, does his voice fit and sound so great on this song. It's so Garth and it's so country to me. The story is great. It paints a perfect picture of a woman who is at a point in the relationship where she's ready for it to take to the next step and the guy realizing that and it's time to propose and put a ring on her finger. I think it's a very fun, upbeat song. I think that the comparisons and the lyrics ultimately coming back to putting a ring on her finger was done real well. I am super, super happy that Garth ended up doing it himself because I think that with the way that he was able to do it and the upbeat fun sound behind it like I said I didn't know it but uh, I had a lot of fun listening to it and researching it what'd you guys think
2: I did know this song I mean not really well but I had heard it before and you know like you said Mark Colley was the original who released it, the original artist, and he wrote songs like Born to Love You and Even the Man in the Moon is Crying, which I don't know why I remember that song, but I do remember it from 1992. And it's just about a guy realizing he's, like you said, he has to commit or let that relationship go. They're kind of at that breaking point where they have to decide what's going to happen. But the song really made me think that Garth was Beyonce before Beyonce was Beyonce, because it, it harkens back to if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Like that's like the female <laughs> counterpart to this song. That's what I feel really That's like. awesome. It's another one that musically would have been fun to dance to, I think. I can see this one doing well at the dance hall still if they put it on. I think people would dance to it and enjoy those fiddle licks and have a good time with it. And then it's, it's another play on words song. There's the thing, something with a ring to it, that's saying, or, you know, that, that has a nice ring to it versus a literal ring like a wedding ring. And so those are always fun. But what do you think of it, Deb?
0: So, I was not at all familiar with this song. Like listening to it to review it for this podcast, I honestly think it was the first time I'd ever heard it. Really? I couldn't find it anywhere. I just it just passed me by. It's a basic western swing song. And honestly, the music is good, but for me it's kind of forgettable. I think that Garth has done other Western swing songs that just stand out more to me. Like, for example, Mr. Right. Earlier on this same record, which we discussed in the episode prior to this episode, I think it's a better song.
2: And that may be why it made the original album and this one didn't. Maybe he felt like of the two, right. yeah, he chose the one, one. first. You yeah, know? if
0: you're going to have a swing song and you're only going to have one, then maybe that's why he chose Mr. Right. It just sticks out to me mm-hmm. better. It's funner. It's faster. So this one, I didn't know the original. I won't put this one on my list. It just won't. Sorry, guys. that's fair. You don't have to love them all. <laughs> I don't have to love them all.
1: Could you imagine the size of your playlist if you did have them, you loved them all enough to put them all on? There? Good lord!
2: <laughs> oh, that's a lot of music. That's, a lot of music. that's a, I wonder how many hours of music that is because it would be a yeah. lot. <laughs>
1: Well, that will wrap it up for song nine, and we'll pass it over to Jess for song number 10.
2: All right, guys. Song number 10 is "Night Rider's Lament.
0: Boy, oh, they must have gone crazy out there.
1: Son, they all must be crazy out there.
2: Night Rider's Lament was written by Michael Burton, and he passed away in December of 2019 after a 30-year battle with coronary artery disease, but I have to tell you a little bit about this guy. If he has a biography out there, then I kind of want to read it because he sounds amazing. Not only was he a talented songwriter, he was a well-known poet and a respected Maya archaeologist and an explorer with 12 expeditions to the upper Amazon, some of them solo with just a native guide. He was also a working cowboy and a dory fisherman in Alaska where he grew up. And because he grew up in Alaska and Canada, it provided him close contact with the Eskimo and native populations. And so from them, he learned tracking and field skills, which helped him in his military career because when he was in Vietnam, he joined the special forces and became a commando. Then after September 11th, he joined the Arizona Rangers and provided training in southern Arizona to domestic intelligence agencies. And not only did he write songs and poetry and become an explorer and a ranger, he also was a successful screenwriter. And his feature films included Flight of the Navigator, Shoot to Kill, and The Last Spy. Holy oh gosh. God. Right. Wow. <laughs> then for the last 20 years of his life, Michael and his wife Karen lived on their working ranch outside of Tucson with a menagerie of domestic and wild animals. This was just a really cool man with such amazing life experience that. I felt like it was important to put that out there because I feel like that makes it more interesting going into listening to this song because that's the perspective you're coming from. This is the life experience that this guy had. So you'll have to go back because I know you've listened to it and you have your analysis, but you'll have to listen to it again now, like knowing what this man has seen and then listen to this song again. But the song's about a cowboy out riding the range, sitting up late at night, reading a letter from home by moonlight, and the letters from a friend who sort of is questioning his life choices and why he lives the life he does and it tells him about the woman he left behind and the life he likely missed out on but then the cowboy thinks about all that they don't understand about his life and where he's been and what he's seen and things that they just can't imagine and i can see how garth would have identified with this song because back then he was always on the road away from his family away from his friends and i'm sure he had some late nights alone on the bus to think from time to time and He probably could have never explained all that he'd seen and done and experienced to those people who he loved, but who weren't there with him, you know, so I think he probably really could identify with this song. Again, here, Trisha does some haunting background vocals. Her voice always just melts into his like butter on pancakes. And this is no exception to that. This is also the song that we mentioned in episode five, the love song episode, where Deb mentioned that Garth yodels. And I think we actually put a clip in that episode of the yodeling. And so I didn't know this song and I didn't know that, but I know that Deb did. And so I'm glad that she caught that because when I heard this, I was like, oh, this is that song. I'd never really listened to this song before, but I, I really do like it. And I think I like it more knowing the background and where it was coming from whenever it was originally written obviously, Deb, you were at least a little bit familiar with this one. So what are your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, I was I knew this song. I first of all, I did not know any of that stuff. Don't you want to read his biography? I do. I mean, talking about an amazing life, like he's done everything. That's fantastic. I would love to learn more. For me, this song it just represents old country. I think this is another one that I can imagine Garth singing back in the day when he was working at Wild Willie's Saloon or at Tubbleweed. And like you said, it's the yodeling song. Mm-hmm. I had that in my notes to bring up too, that you know he actually did some yodeling. So shout out to Garth for his great yodeling. So yeah, this is a good old story song. I like it a lot. What did you think, Pete?
1: This song is awesome. To me, it's an absolute gem of a, of a true cowboy song. Like, you know, the story behind it, yeah. Before I knew the song, I knew the lyrics of the song um, well before the Netflix documentary. But now I found myself when listening to it and doing the research. And you talk about sitting around a campfire. I kept putting Garth at the fire pit up on the hill on his property, and it, you know, sitting there in that Carhartt jacket and you know, like singing it. Yeah, I I really did enjoy the song quite a bit. The yodeling again, that was, I have it right here. The yodel is dope again. Like, it's so much fun. <laughs> but so, yeah, you know, kind of a lot of the same stuff that you guys touched on. But I have a question, and maybe I missed it. In a lot of songs that you hear, you find the title of the song in the lyrics. Anywhere in these lyrics, do you guys remember seeing "Night Rider's Lament?
2: Nope. But no, no. you're right. The, he didn't put the title in the song.
1: Like I get what the Night Riders is. What I don't. I never. I guess I probably could have looked. What does lament mean?
0: It's like a story, isn't it? A lament. Yeah, it's like when you lament on something. It's
2: like you sit and ruminate on it, mm-hmm. talk
1: about it, think about I, it. I was just sitting here, and I, I when we were talking about lyrics and the story, I thought, wait, I didn't ever even. I don't. I'm listening to the song, and I like, I don't remember seeing that in the lyrics. And I didn't have time to research what that word meant. But that makes song Night Riders story or whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. What a great song. Really, really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. I love that one, too.
0: Okay, we're going to wrap that one up and send it over to Deb for song number 11. The final song on The Chase is number 11, Face to Face. And your gentle hand was finally clenched in red. You
1: were face to face. Face to face. With the devil
2: the lends.
0: The as it to Face was written by another frequent topic on garthology, Tony Arada Tony Arada is a guitarist and singer who has released three of his own albums. As a songwriter, he has worked with numerous country artists and reached the top 10 multiple times writing soulful songs that stand the test of time. When Garth heard him perform The Dance at the Bluebird in Nashville, he spoke to him afterwards, and although he figured Tony had heard it previously, he told him that if he ever got a record deal, he would like to cut The Dance. And the rest, as they say, is history for these two men, of course. Face to Face is a very different song from The Dance. It's a powerful song about standing up to those that try to harm you whether it's a young boy standing up to those that bully him, a rape victim standing up to her attacker, or a man of faith facing the devil. It's a brooding, haunting song, both the lyrics and the music. This song is about looking inside yourself and finding the strength you have there to do what needs to be done. And as Garth describes it, music can help you do that. He says, Music is the only thing that you let deep in your soul. Music lets you sing with the other voice that you hear your whole life in your head, in your heart, and in your chest. I love this song for that reason. I love what it represents and the fact that it's about that inner strength that we all have. It's beautiful music. It's strong and forceful. I think it's great. What did you guys think?
1: Yeah, I gotta tell you on this one, I think that the music to the lyrics go very, very well together in this song. The story behind this song, it really, really swayed my emotions so, so much from the first to the second to the third verse. And it tells so many different stories in those different verses, like you were touching on, Deb. But ultimately, if you can come eye to eye with whatever it is that's going on in your life, even if it's scary, you stand up to it. In the end, it's probably going to work out the best that it could for you. And that's what I got from it. The song I was not very familiar with when I listened to it. I absolutely immediately after the first, second, third time fell in love with the song because it got me emotionally. It really did get me emotionally with the different lyrics and the different verses in the song. So I enjoyed it thoroughly. What do you think, Jess?
2: I liked it too. And I also wasn't overly familiar with the song going in. I love the opener. It's a really foreboding sound, and it kind of actually reminded me of Reba McIntyre's The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. There's that kind of music intro, and it reminded me of that. And then at later points, the music changes a little bit, and it reminded me of uh, the Chris Gaines album. There's a song called White Flag, and it's got these really kind of heavy, gritty steel guitar sounds, which was interesting to me to hear something on an earlier Garth album that harkened to something that was yet to come later with the Chris Gaines that was very different. But I did hear that in the music. And then it's just, you know, this is really dark subject matter, especially for 1992 country music. We've talked about the fact that the chase was really important to Garth and he put some things on here that, you know, really showed things that were important to him and maybe that he wouldn't have put on another album. And I feel like you can see that in this song. Like it's very different from what had come before it musically it's also really bold for 1992 because it's not a traditional country sound at all if you listen to the music and listen to like the sound that was coming out of Nashville at the time this was really different I love the line that says face to face with the devil that you've been dreading because that's such a universal idea of like you guys touched on facing any person or situation where you're having to kind of gather your courage and just do it even though you're dreading it, even though you're scared, you just have to. And and most of the time, I feel like that's for your betterment. You know, in the end, once you've done it, that's going to hopefully put you in a better place. And then at the the very end, the kind of third section of the song, when it talks about facing the devil inside yourself, I feel like that's possibly the scariest one of all. You know, you can stand up to other people, but when you know it's your own demons and something that's inside you, that's a powerful lyric. And so it really, it kind of took me by surprise because I didn't know this song and it really made me think. So I feel like it held its own as the final song on the album.
0: Yeah, Never. I think it's a really strong song. And like you said, facing, and that could be anything for anyone. It can be addiction or mm-hmm. your home life or whatever that you're facing inside can often be even more difficult than facing whatever hardships on the outside people are facing. Absolutely. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that was really good. All right. That wraps up our discussion of Garth's fifth studio record, The Chase. And now going into breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. As we just mentioned, Tony Arada, were big fans of his. He's written many songs for Garth, Trisha, Patty Loveless, Emmylou Harris, and more. On January 29th. He will be doing a live online show from Nashville that benefits the Riley Children's Foundation of Indianapolis, Indiana. It will be an incredible night of live music and stories from Nashville hosted by Stormy Warren and featured on the American Songwriter site to benefit this worthy charity. I'll put a link to the site on our website and be sure and get your tickets for it. Now over to Pete for shout outs shout outs.
1: Yes, this week, we would like to give a shout out to Scott Foster over at the Garth Cast podcast. We appreciate the support and the mentions that you've given us in your episodes. Thanks, bud.
0: Thank you so much, Scott. It means a lot. Thanks, Scott. Be sure and visit our website at garthology.com and leave a comment on our blog page. You can also submit a show idea on the show idea page, and don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the website. And remember to subscribe, download, rate, and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And be sure and share us with your friends in low places.
1: Speaking of friends in low places, if you guys would like to visit us on our social media pages, you can find us at facebook.com backslash garthologycast. And if you're at Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at GarthologyCast there. If you have the time, please like, retweet, share, comment, or just message us. We would appreciate the interaction. And uh, we have a lot of fun interacting with you fans. So we appreciate that.
2: Yes. And be sure to tune into our next episode of Garthology, where we'll be sharing stories of inspiration, Garthspiration, if you will. Because this special episode will be coming to your podcast platform of choice on Garth's birthday, February 7th. So stop on by to hear how Garth has inspired fans and fellow artists alike. We can't wait for this
0: special episode, and we sure hope you all join us. Until then. This has been Season 2, Episode 3 of Garthology. And I'm Deb. I'm Pete. And I'm Jess. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye.
1: Bye, everybody.
0: Bye. We're here to dig into the past, present, and future of the number one selling sodal. (laughs) Oh, that dog is pissed off. (laughs) He's (laughs) mad at me too. Yeah, he like, I've already heard
1: this. Get on with it. (laughs)
0: You can come in. We stop for a second. Everybody say hi to David.
1: What's up, hi, David?
0: You can't hear them because my headphones. Hi, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm so sad. She's so sad. What is okay. that? It's, um, it's Miguel's.
1: Oh, my God. I'm starving. We don't
0: have Miguel's in Oklahoma. Put that to the side where we won't see it. Okay. All right. Now, where did the dog go?
1: He's over at the door, pissed off.
0: Yeah, he is. We're here to dig into the past. <laughs> <Stop it. laughs> I knew that was going to
1: happen. I knew that dog was going for the food.
0: <laughs> he was.
1: Yep, I you knew it was really going to happen.
0: Climbing up.
1: When you started recording, I was like, "And yeah, Deb, he's going for the food," and then like I saw him walk up there, and I knew it was just a matter of time.
2: But look at that face, hungry. Yeah, he just hungry. wants a little bite of
1: beans. He just wants <laughs> some beans. Like, just a
2: little.
0: Okay.
2: Take eighteen. <laughs>
0: right. Ah, now I'm losing my voice, and I'm getting tired of what I say because I've said it three times.
1: I gotta tell—I don't know that we'll ever master anything better than the Deb, Pete, and Jess thing. I mean, we are—that is like so good.
0: <laughs> we can say
2: our names. We—we yeah, <laughs> we are
1: good at that. <laughs> hmm.